Welcome to episode Nintendo 64 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Lovin. And I'm Brendan Jackson. This episode, we got to hang out with Allie Dreyer. She's one of the designers on the Twitter timeline team. And she's also built Captivate.co and a few other awesome side projects. It was super fun to talk to her. We hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. If you did, leave us a review on iTunes. Those ratings help us move up in the charts and help new people find the show. If you want to support us, just pull out your phone or your computer, open iTunes or your podcast app, and leave a rating. If you also want to leave a comment, that's awesome too. We love to read those with any feedback or suggestions you might have. You can also hit us up on Twitter, of course, at Design Details FM. And finally, if you wanted to chat with us in a little more personal way, you can join our Slack team. There's over 1,100 designers and developers in there talking about the latest tools, happenings in the spec network. And every Friday, we host a public critique of your work with some of our favorite designers. To join that, go to spec.fm slash slack. Before we get into this episode, we have two sponsors that made this episode possible. Huge thank you once again to IconFinder.com. IconFinder is the largest source of premium icons in the world. They have over 627,000 icons in their library as of right now, 11,000 icon sets that are going to make your designs beautiful. They have a page on their website, iconfinder.com slash designers, where you can check out some of the amazing artists and designers submitting their icons on IconFinder. You can follow them and keep up to date with the latest stuff coming out. We actually found out that there are designers on there making four to $5,000 a month selling icons. So if you are a designer and want to make money, upload your icons to IconFinder. If you're not an icon designer and you just need to grab an icon for whatever project you're working on, Go to IconFinder.com and sign up for IconFinder Pro. It's a monthly subscription service that gives you access to all 627,000 icons in the IconFinder library. Those are licensed for commercial projects, so you can use them on client work. And 70% of your money goes straight back to the designers themselves. So you are supporting the design community. This is one of the reasons we love IconFinder. So please go to IconFinder.com, sign up for IconFinder Pro, and use the promo code design details new code that will tell them that we sent you and get you 50% off your first month of icon finder thanks once again for sponsoring the show our second sponsor dropbox dropbox takes this really boring dull thing that is file systems which are terrible and it makes them not terrible super easily all it does is it syncs up all your files. <laughs> all it does. All it does is it syncs up all your files between all your team members and all of your projects and all, all everything. All it does is everything. Uh, that's their motto. Their new tagline. You're welcome. We use it for our day jobs and our night jobs, our late afternoon jobs, our early morning jobs. It's like the backbone of all of our projects. We use it for version history, which has saved our asses a ton of times. We've almost lost episodes of this podcast that Dropbox helped us find again. We've had developers go in and change sketch files that they shouldn't have and we've had those be recoverable because of dropbox we couldn't do our job as well as we do without dropbox that's all there is to it and dropbox knows that and all they're trying to do with sponsorships like this and setting up events is help designers do their best work they don't actually ask us to like send people to a special url or whatever to track it they just want designers to do their best work you'll notice that our name isn't in this url but go check them out at dropbox.com. Thanks once again to Dropbox. And with that, let's get into episode 64 with Allie Dreyer. Uh, well, I'm Allie Dreyer. I'm a designer at Twitter. And I also have a website called Captivate.co that presents uh, app animations. So Captivate is how I first heard of you. Uh, I'd love to hear more about like how that got started and, and what it is, of course. Sure. Captivate is a project that allows people to see little snippets of apps, just like the little interaction design moments. And it came from a period of time where I was working at an agency called Bottle Rocket in Dallas, Texas. And we would have clients come in and we would kind of have seen an interaction or we would have an idea for one. And we would wind up waving our arms around and kind of like making air sounds and being like, and like it was I say bloop far too often yeah (laughs) it's like so hard to explain to people what you're talking about and it's so easy to show them Mm -hmm. um but the app store has like seven million things on it you've almost always deleted the app you want to show to them in the moment and then there's like this whole awkward time where you're trying to find it and so I was talking with a friend of mine Jenny Leader who's a designer here as well she works at Storehouse now we were just talking back and forth about how we wish there was a website that 
you could just go to and the stuff would be documented or like that there was some way of easily finding it. Um, so I just tried over and over again to figure out a way to display a video that, but that had a static image in front of it so that you weren't like completely bombarded by motion of all these different things. That was a really hard project for me since I don't have a development background at all. So I had to figure out a way to package together a movie and a static image that you could mouse over and they would flip flop. One day I finally cracked it. Like I found some software that let me do it. And so I just started posting these things to the web and people found it useful. And it kind of took off from there. So how long have you been posting those? I guess it's been several years now. The past year, I have been really bad. Like, I have not posted at hardly at all. So it's just kind of hmm. sitting up there, pretty static. But um, before that, I was posting much more regularly. Do you know how many posts you've done? No. Is this going into, like, battle mode? Is that what's happening right now? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, have I you just, seen his blog? No. <laughs> it's... They're very similar <laughs> in similar, kind. <laughs> but coincidentally, I promise. Oh, well, mine is actually based off of um, some other blogs that exist for mobile patterns. So like I think is it we, patterns. Yeah, patterns and, <laughs> yeah. and mo- I think it's mobile patterns is another one. Mm-hmm. So I just looked at those two and I saw the dark background and I was like, oh, dark is nice because then. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of a different one. Yeah. Patterns is nice, but it's all static, right? Yeah, that, then, I don't think there's any motion there. The ones that I was looking at at the time were all static. So the difference that I had was that things moved. And I think that was key. Brian, do you just owe her everything? I owe you everything. <laughs> awesome. I think this is copyright infringement. You're technically the founder of this podcast. I need actually. to go. I need to take a closer look at all <laughs> of this Can we name it Captivate? Because that's a way better name for a podcast. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that later. <clears throat> Anyways, so then what I thought was awesome is that you actually took it to the next step and you made an app for Captivate. What was that like? So I had been tinkering with designing an app for it just because it was completely busted on mobile. It was busted to an absurd degree. Like things were loading tiny and nothing worked, nothing played. And also I'm just, I like working with native stuff and iOS. It's great. I think it's better. So I was like, oh, I want to make an app for this. So I kind of had some designs hanging out where I was playing with some stuff, but nothing was happening because at the time I couldn't write any uh, Objective C. And so one day, um, a developer who is in Ohio named Claude Sutherland just reached out to me and he was like, hey, can I make an app for Captivate? And I was like, I can't pay you any money whatsoever. And he was like, that's okay. I just want to do it. I think it would be useful. So I said, cool, I have some designs. Like, can we work together? Would you be okay with that? And he was like, yes. So we just did it over email. And just, I would send him screenshots and he would work on it. And then he would send me builds and I would screenshot the builds and show him the differences and email him back. And it was like a really smooth process. He was great to work with. And I kept the app as simple as possible because I wasn't paying him. Um, So I was like, okay, just really, really simple, kind of keep it flat and... That was it. Yeah. That's awesome. And it launched in January. I I guess it did. My life is a blur. I don't know. (laughs) This year has been a blur. January this year? Yeah. Crazy. I feel like I've had it for much longer than that. No, I, that, that was so cool. It was like the first time anyone had done that because there had been other like app design sort of inspiration galleries and stuff like that. But like bringing the motion ones to your phone is very smart. So how's it been since the launch? It's been good. I mean, I think it's probably being hurt by the fact that I don't post fresh content. So when you come back to it, it looks exactly the same every time, which is kind of a problem. And I think Claude would be willing to do a little maintenance on it. And like we could probably freshen it up and make it faster in certain ways over time. But I just haven't invested enough in making the content fresh to really justify that. So in our Slack team, a constant question has been like letting side products go like and how they drain off how has that process been for you? Like, is that something you just want to get back to and like haven't had time or? Yeah. I mean, I kind of, this is a pattern for me. Like I'll go about two years on something on the side and then I, it just sort of like stays Tapers off. It just like, I just, it just lives in the internet. So I'm, I'm hoping that I can either like morph it into something that will reignite my passion for the side project that will spend the time to find these apps and record them. I think the biggest obstacle to me doing that right now has just been the posts are so time intensive to create 
that mm. it's a huge deterrent. So like if I could just streamline that part of it, I would probably post more. So I, I did write a blog similar in style, like just talking about the motion design patterns and stuff. And those took hours, like many, many hours. So I, I can imagine you were doing way more posts than I ever was. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have to write anything. I just had to, I had to find it. Right. Um, That's where you two really differentiated. Brian was like very wordy. I, I used to do a um, a word blog, I guess. Word blog. <laughs> I used to Titles. put um, words, I used to use words, words onto the computer. <laughs> Once um, upon a time. And that was another one. That, that was my first blog. That was the Architerials blog. But I stopped writing. So tell us about Architerials. What, like, what was that all about? So that was a blog geared at architects that presented really high-tech advanced materials. Things like carbon nanotubes and glow-in-the-dark whatever, stretchable things. Um, Because I was just really into the high-tech stuff that people were inventing and how you could incorporate it into the built environment. So I would just write about things um, that I found and post links and things like that, show images. I had a tradition on April Fool's of making up a material. (laughs) (laughs) So every year I would just like blatantly lie because it's kind of a formula after a while. You know, if you write blog posts, I made up one where it was like, insulation made out of skittles that <laughs> that could resist temperatures as hot as the sun made and, out of skittles yeah it can't resist the heat of my pocket i know, I know. <laughs> wow it seems really far-fetched right and yet and yet people were fooled people shared it yeah. oh my they're God. like perfect that's all i want is skittle insulation yeah think it's what was it called would you call it I think it was called Fuskittle. I, I can't remember. <laughs> That's I'll have great. to look it up. Yeah. You were previously an architect. Uh, is that the right? Yeah. Or is it an architect? I am. Designer? I am still a licensed architect right. in the state of Texas. So tell us how you got into that and that story, and then how it worked your way into product design. Okay. In college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I've always kind of studied art, and I'm also really practical. So I thought that if I did architecture, I would combine a bunch of my interests and a bunch of my talents, and I would be like super filled and happy. Forever and ever. Yeah, forever. And I, um, so I, I finished college without majoring in architecture, which meant that I had to do a three-year master's to be on the path to being a, an architect. So I went to UVA for three years and studied architecture there, graduated um, and moved to Texas. And then I began the arduous process of getting licensed, which involves like 7,000 billion hours of all kinds of different learning areas that you have to get approved by your mentor. And then taking, I think, seven standardized tests at the time. The Is ARE. mentor like a license thing or something? Yeah, like you have to have someone who has a license monitor and approve the hours that you spend on various things. So, wow. yeah, that takes a really long time. And the tests are really hard. Each one is like five or six hours. And there's a huge multiple choice part. And then there's a part where you actually do drawings. And then they go off to the system. And, yeah. And if you fail an architecture test, you can't retake for six months. At least this, these are the rules that I played under. I, I'm sure it may have changed. So I think wow. I know the answer to this, but just in case. Why do you have to be licensed? And what does it mean to be a licensed architect? You don't have to be licensed to work in architecture, but if you want to stamp a drawing, which turns it into basically like, I guess, almost legal kind of status of a document, um, you have to be a licensed architect. What if designers had to be licensed? People have asked this before. Like, why are so many other professions where you're impacting products that lots of people use? Safety? Yeah, it's It's the thing that stands out for architecture. Yeah. Yeah. Like, my mom was a general contractor, so, like... I dealt with a lot of inspections. It was insane. Not super fun. I can imagine how like hard it would be. Yeah. There are so many laws and rules that govern and things about accessibility that are really important that are being monitored. But I can't help but see the same stuff in what we do. And there are some interfaces that can be life and death. So Right. And it's like accessibility is at this point a choice. At some point, it becomes like a priority based on users, but it's still a choice from the designer and developer perspective, right? Mm-hmm. It's not enforced. Anyways, that's interesting. So you, you then you worked at a firm for... 
It was about four years. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. It was right before uh, the economy completely tanked in 08. Um, And I was there. I was still an architect when the construction industry just kind of blew up for a little while. So that was pretty grim. It may have contributed to my interest in (laughs) software design, but yeah. Yeah. So what was the spark that sort of switched you over to starting to work on the web and work on, well, because then you made architecturals. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Architerials. Architerials. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That was a a side project that I did while I was working as an architect. So it just kind of came from an interest that I had. Yeah. I can't remember. So did you write all the code and everything or was that like a WordPress thing? It was a WordPress template and I just like hacked at it until it looked how I wanted. I was gonna say, if you're an architect that like knows web stuff that's a pretty impressive skill set to have like that's insane did not know it no at all so i just kind of stayed up late and fiddled with hex colors and and then finally it was in the shape i wanted and then when did you start uh bad ui i started that in um while i was at bottle rocket okay yeah i just had some thoughts about interface design probably before i had a lot of experience about it but I just would write down things that I was thinking about in terms of that. Was that like critiquing you? Because I mean, the name bad UI spelled not like it sounds, but uh, uh, was that like a critique kind of blog or was it just a, a personal thought? I don't know how to explain the impetus for that website exactly, but I think it was supposed to be about a little bit of critique and a little bit of like helpful things that I learned, but there's kind of a mishmash of different types of posts. It's kind of experimental. Okay. And I noticed you haven't posted on there in a while. Either. Nope. <laughs> Any plans to, to rekindle the writing? Yeah, definitely. I was looking at porting it over to Medium, but then I realized that it would spam everyone with all these old posts. So I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with that site, but I think I'll probably definitely write again. Okay. Is there anything in particular that you'd want to start writing about? I don't know, maybe things you've been learning since, like at Twitter and things like that. Yeah, I'm working on a piece right now about a project that I've been working on at Twitter for like about nine months. So I'm hoping they'll let me publish that uh, when when that happens. Nine months on yeah. one project. Yeah. So what's it been like working on one feature for nine months? Well, I haven't only worked on one feature for okay. nine months. I've worked on several, but it's a roller coaster of emotions um, because you have the exhilaration of starting the project and pitching it and selling it and um so it was your feature yeah well it wasn't just me you know i was working i had a design partner his name is wayne fan and we worked together on it for hack week so yeah pitching and pitching and pitching internally and just kind of watching it take shape through the org and you know hopefully so i think that's interesting because you know there's there's so many different ways that different companies structure their design process. Like certainly startups are about like moving faster and, and at the bigger the company, you can invest nine months or, or however long into something like this. So what is the design process like at Twitter? Like how, how did it go from just an idea to being built and then invested in? Part of the process was definitely Hack Week, which makes it a different project than most of the ones I work on. Most of the things that have to do with the timeline, we have a roadmap and we have goals about how we want to shape it and where we want to take it. And that changes all the time, but you you generally know what you're working on. And the timeline's a really familiar place with pretty standard components. And so it's a lot of coming up with new components for it or new behaviors or whatever we're looking at. And that's pretty predictable. The other project that I have been working on didn't follow that pattern at all. It was kind of started by two designers. So we had all of this design work up front before engineers even started working on it. So that was a little bit different. Like usually there's not as much lead time between when you start designing and when engineering gets involved with it. How many hack weeks does Twitter have? It's changed over time, but I think it's like two a year maybe. Two a year. Maybe okay. one a year. And is that just a totally voluntary, like whoever wants to work on something mm-hmm. kind of deal? Yeah, you can just pick something, put together a team, and then just work on it for a week, and then you pitch it. Is this the first time you've done one? It was my second hack week. Okay. Yeah. Can you talk about what your first one was? Um, the first one was like a wearable project, but it, it never went anywhere. Yeah, there's a, a pretty big graveyard of hack week projects, as you would imagine, when yeah. you have a big company, there's like thousands and thousands of good ideas and they can't do all of them 
but um yeah it's really fun it's i like doing it a lot right right cool what are you most excited about like going on at twitter without having you don't have to get into new stuff being built pretty excited about stars coming back because <laughs> god i hope so <laughs> yeah i can't comment i know i can't comment on anything I'm i excited just miss about my stars so much what about it doesn't even have to be uh new stuff that's being worked on but like what draws you to twitter why did you want to work there i guess it's kind of a combination of it's changed my life twice and the fact that the last two jobs i've gotten have been through twitter i'm mean, getting to twitter happened because i faved a tweet by a lead designer and then he looked at my portfolio so which, which lead designer <laughs> mike k yeah so like it's it it has the power to change lives obviously and then also just i'm in awe of how many people are able to have a voice who wouldn't otherwise and how many different events and things have come to pass just because this platform exists for communication and i think that's a really wonderful thing to be able to contribute to when you got started, did you know that like, I want to work on the timeline or did you kind of get thrown into that pr- particular product? No, I, I just got assigned to it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, are you happy with that or are there other areas that you think that we would also enjoy working on? I think there are some other areas that would be really interesting as well. Um, I've been working on the timeline since I joined. So um, I've seen a lot. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of change and part of me is like, this is a really intense, contentious place to be, and it, it can be kind of tiring. And then part of me is like, this is the center of everything. It's amazing. Right? Like, I love working on this. So it, it's a strange yin-yang, I think. On a like, personal note, how do you deal with or filter out public critique about the work you're doing? Because the timeline is such a visible public Speaking of stars... <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's everybody has feedback. Everyone has an Everyone. opinion, right? Every single no person. No one on Twitter has opinions. <laughs> everyone. And you know Literally what? Literally everyone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and so I think that the approach we take is like, we're going to do our best. We want to do our best by people. And we want this to be a product that, you know, appeals to a broad audience. They all have different needs. So haters are going to hate. And you just <laughs> have to do your best. Yeah. It must help having like a team that sort of embodies that mentality as well. Do you ever like personally struggle or like just have to get off Twitter sometimes and just ignore that? How do you do it? I, yeah, I don't, I try not to read the commentary too much. Like I'll take in, I'll take in the general uh, sentiment of the feedback. Um, But if you spend all your time listening to what everyone's thinking about, then you're not working and you're not making things better. So you have to, I think, just keep plowing ahead and um, not pay too much attention to the, speculation or the feedback we have a ton of internal feedback as well so it's not even just the outside world it's just everyone <laughs> you're getting it from all sides yeah <laughs> that's crazy um and you've probably seen the company grow quite a bit as well mm-hmm. in two years um how's like the design org changed or been restructured as you've been there i guess it's almost doubled in size since i've been there um, on the design side and then Twitter as a whole. I mean, hundreds of people join every couple of weeks. So it's been, it's been crazy. Um, but I think the changes and all of that stuff that happens just like over time, I've noticed it's trending positive and I think that we're getting better. So it's, that's been good. Well, Twitter, especially for our community is like an indispensable tool. You, you mentioned that like your last two jobs have come a bit easily the same for me. Brian, I know you've mentioned before that it like you got to buffer because of it. Yeah, I got my job through Twitter. And that's something people are constantly asking about, like, how did that happen? Do you mind telling us, like, a little more about that? Yeah. Um, so the first job that I got off Twitter was Bottle Rocket, which is an app development agency. I might have mentioned that before. And I was just browsing my timeline and somehow saw the job listing posted. And so that was just serendipity. I have no idea how I found it. And then, as I mentioned, getting a job at Twitter happened because I faved a tweet. So I think it's it's like everything from engagement to just browsing can kind of be that thing. As long as you're able to invest in building a graph that exposes you to these opportunities. Right. Yeah, I think like when I was asking you earlier about dealing with the criticism, you are also in a position to deal with a ton of praise, right? Like so many people love to see improvements on Twitter. So that must feel really good. Yeah. Yeah. Also, people just love Twitter. Yeah, people it's do It's pretty love nuts. We love Twitter. 
I lose all my time to Twitter. How do you feel about that? Does that I, mean you're doing your job well? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You don't get in trouble for tweeting all day. I'm on, I'm on Twitter all the time. <laughs> Every minute. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> Is it really though? We're all on Twitter. Everyone at Twitter's on Twitter all day. It's, it's like you go on there and you're looking for an avatar because you want to put someone in a mock and then 10 minutes and you're like, <laughs> why, <laughs> 10 why, minutes am becomes an hour. why am I here? <laughs> What's happening? Have you gotten the chance to like go on research trips or like learn about international Twitter usage? Because I'm really curious how that works outside of this bubble. Yeah, I um This summer I went to Japan um, and we interviewed a bunch of people about how they use the timeline. It was fascinating. Can you share like what you found, maybe cultural differences? Um, well, uh, first of all, just it's huge there. Like we, every time we were on the subway, like I saw Twitter on people's phones, um, which was cool. And then I think also just uh, one of the differences that I saw is a lot of multiple accounts. Like people there will have mm. an account for this and then an account for that. And you can pack a lot more into 140 characters in Japanese than you can in English. Oh, interesting. So do we get like a cheat code then? Or how do we fix that? We got to uh, get on parody. <laughs> <laughs> we have, you have to use kanji. <laughs> Done. There you go. Does Twitter do a bunch of those research trips or? Yeah. Okay. Research is happening all the time. Yeah. I'm curious like um, if there are like bigger international use cases than, than what we see here and like what you've learned about designing a product that works for us here in Silicon Valley where we tweet about technology versus you know someone in maybe a rural part of a third world country that that has a very different use case and need maybe for political reasons or otherwise Mm -hmm. yeah that's definitely the case and we have various teams that specialize in different locales that will kind of attend to those special use cases and needs for those parts of the world does that how does all that feedback get back to you working on the timeline um it happens because we have a really close relationship with research so they'll present findings we go on trips with them and and kind of the learning disseminates through the team that way research then is like a defined uh role within twitter right Mm -hmm. how many researchers do you work with um i'm not sure i would say it's probably around 30 overall i mean not personally but i think the team is about 30 and they do (laughs) i have a team of 30 (laughs) researchers yeah no no (laughs) i work with a subset of those people but um they're very tightly knit within the design team at twitter so their work informs a lot of what we do. Mm -hmm. One of the things that changed my usage of Twitter a lot was when I switched from like thinking it was a broadcasting tool, which it seems like at face value to using it to like go back and forth or engage in communication or conversation. Being from the timeline team, how, how do you think about that problem? Like, or maybe that's the opposite of what you want. I don't know. I don't think of it so much as a problem. I think it's just that there are a lot of different ways you can use Twitter and a lot of different reasons to use Twitter. Mm. And as long as the the thing that you came here for, you can do, then I think we're on the right track. I'm curious from your perspective, like having worked on Captivate and you, you've seen this huge spectrum of motion design sort of evolving over time, how you think about motion design, especially working at Twitter. Um, or even if you can't talk about that, uh, just motion design in general, like how you've seen that evolve over the last few years. Yeah, I think in the beginning, it was just so jazzy. Like everyone was like, wow, look at this thing. It's moving. It's like, I want to touch that. So it does it again, like Mm -hmm. all these things. Um, And then over time, as I looked at more and more examples, I started to see some familiar things. And then over time, I started to notice that people were kind of over animating. And like, it was a little like... Um, UI jewelry. Yeah, like over the top or kind of pointless or didn't didn't really serve a purpose. Um, so I think that as I've seen the landscape of all of these animations open up and people get really creative, it's been interesting to think about like how can we be really targeted about when we use motion and make sure that it has a purpose and that it's not um, just like making people seasick or distracting you from the task you're trying to do. Like the favorite star exploding. That is, I love that though. I love it too. It's yeah, so good. Yeah, I miss it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know which A-B test Bryn is on. <laughs> um, yeah, I've noticed the same thing. And I think it's sometimes really tempting as a designer to be like, oh, we should animate all the things. But then you realize that it kind of only engages people for a couple times. And then after that, it's literally just delaying them by however many 
hundreds of a second to doing what they want to do. Yeah. There's also, I think, a really nice thing when motion adds meaning. So when you can use motion to explain like the Z space or kind of reveal the architecture of your app, I think that's a really sophisticated and cool way to use it. That's different than just like, you know, something exploding or. So you like material design? I think it's, yeah, I think it's great. Do you get to spend most of your time in one platform or the other? I work on iOS, Android, and web. Which one's your favorite? I think uh, I'm most invested in iOS, I would say. Um, so That's the easy one. Yeah. Like that's that's the one that's like easy to love. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's easy been to love, so yes. consistent. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's I've, wasn't the way I went. I've been it. in the ecosystem for so long too. So like everything that I do on a daily basis is on that platform. Yeah. It's good to work across the different platforms, I think, because it just makes you... Yeah, well, because especially material design, I know Bryn loves this, like the way Z indexes are like... The way it manages the shadow. Structured. Mm -hmm. So good. The the logic there is fantastic. How do you manage the, like the feature parity across platforms? Because you just, you just released the iPad version too, Mm -hmm. which now has support like really small, like sidebar things. We have teams that specialize in kind of making sure that all of across platform stuff is really working. But I think that when we are working on a feature in the timeline specifically, I will look at, do we need to make this subtly different depending on the platform that it's on? Will it port over directly? And if it needs to change to work on a certain platform, we'll do it. Because uh, we don't want it to feel like we've just picked up a piece of another platform and dumped it in a context where it doesn't make sense or feels alien. We kind of talked about this in one of our other shows, and I've been wondering if if designers are making sort of this gradual trend towards focusing on one platform versus feeling like spread out among three. Do you feel like you'd ever want to focus and only work on one? If I could just work on iOS, I probably would just because I learned Swift and so I can prototype in it and it feels like fluid and I can use, I can like rely on all that native stuff to power the animations and transitions. That's cool. How did you learn Swift? I took CodePath, um, which is like a boot camp. So, um, what like kicked that off? What what made you say I need to learn uh, Swift right now? Um, I was just kind of getting frustrated. Like I just wanted to make the thing. I wanted to make things during the day, and um, some of the prototyping tools I was using didn't have the level of fidelity that I was looking for. So I had a little time since I was procrastinating and not working on Captivate. <laughs> so I just decided I'm going to sign up for this boot camp. I'm going to figure this out. Have you been able to build? like side projects with that or is it mostly just a prototyping skill right now it's mostly a prototyping skill i was trying to rebuild like a chunk of twitter like i wanted to build the home timeline so that i could prototype in it and have live all your real data yeah that'd be awesome yeah so i have that like half constructed with the help of some engineers at at work um but it's it's it takes a while to build all the tweets. I understand now what they're doing. Definitely all day long. <laughs> yeah. Do you, were there other prototyping tools that you tried out that? I've used a, f- a fair number of them. Um, Flinto and Envision and um, Keynote all the time. Because I feel like there's so many designers who who like bounce between all these things, and it seems like Swift is sort of like if you can invest the time to learn that it's probably going to serve you better because you actually are writing the same language. It's going to get shipped. Right. Um, I think, yeah. And the other benefit is that you can, you can go from like just storyboarding all the way to building it. So I think that range that it has is really good. Yeah. That's the problem with some of the others is you get stuck on, especially the data part, right? Mm -hmm. Can't pull in live data and, make something feel real yeah or what i'll do a lot of time is kind of fake live data so i'll just write a data file and then there will be a pool of content that the app can draw from but it's not like talking to the outside world or anything so you can do all kinds of crazy things and a lot of fakery that's cool would you say you mostly spend most of your time doing prototyping now or is it also split among doing more static stuff i i think it's probably 50 50 yeah so there's a lot of sketch to xcode back and forth um because i'll i'll make a prototype and we'll user test it or whatever and then i'll change it up in uh sketch and then i'll feed it back through the prototype and then we'll test it again and then eventually i'll stop and engineers will build the thing for real 
maybe someday there'll be a sketch import into Xcode. But we can dream. I mean, there's already export to Xcode asset library. That's pretty close. In Sketch? Yeah. Oh, shit. It's wow. not like built in. It's a, it's a plugin. Oh, really? Yeah, it's great. Use it all the time. Do you use that? No, I'm going to check it out. <laughs> rookie move, loving rookie move. <laughs> well, I've never written anything in Xcode. Do you even do anything? No. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Just this. <laughs> what else is interesting to you right now? Hmm. What is interesting to me in the design world? Or the real world? Lately, I have been looking a little bit at fabric um, and like textile things. Oh, so this isn't like a Twitter fabric plug. No, <laughs> but I can see how you would, you would think that. Um, Link in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean though? Um, I'm, I just like, I've been interested in like textures and like things you can touch maybe as a reaction to all the glass that we uh, deal with every day. So are you making anything? I'm not really. I'm just kind of looking into the capabilities the different things that people are starting to weave into fabrics, kind of getting back to the high-tech materials oh, yeah. stuff that I was looking at before. Just thinking about how we're starting to have wearables, um, but will they always be gadgets? Could they be more ambient? Could things be distributed on your body? So I've heard about like the smart fabrics or whatever, but like, what's the state of the technology there now? I don't know. I don't think it's too advanced right now or too um, too easy to access and like tinker with but yeah it's not um, like publicly accessible in yeah big ways. it's like very expensive when you can get it i've seen a few like there was just a who was it buzzfeed maybe they just i think they just did a review of um some like wearable shirt that like had a big thing that plugs in on the side and it's just the goofiest <laughs> like it doesn't look like something that could be mass market right yeah at this point yeah so i think i've just kind of started poking around in that space so I don't I don't know a ton about it yet but it's kind of piqued my interest and I definitely don't think we're at the end game with any of that like it's no, just the beginning not. it's like pre-beginning so I do know that the reviewer was Sam Sheffer who used to be The Verge so if you guys want to work look that up it'll be in the show notes Perfect. link in the show notes of course yeah that's interesting I feel like um there's always this interesting move back to like working on tangible things that's always so appealing mm-hmm um, do you feel like that's pulling you back as well? Yeah, I think I, it's just nice to keep, well, I was going to say keep your hand in, but like just, you know, dabble in that stuff as a counterpoint to what we do and just kind of keep it grounded. Right. Especially coming from architecture where like you could actually walk through the building that you designed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I guess there's also kind of the VR space that's coming where maybe we'll be able to do that again without there being a building, which is kind of neat. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, I think VR design is going to be an interesting realm. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about it. Do you guys know anything about VR design? No. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I, I like using the uh, Oculus. That's pretty fun. I used it and I thought I was going to hurl. DevKit 1 made me really uncomfortable. DevKit 2 got a lot better. I've heard the the newest version is like, the release version is even like massively improved on that. So I'm looking forward to it. The new cardboard works with an iPhone. That is terrible to turn in. It, it will really mess with your stomach. Really? I was fine with the cardboard. Have you tried it? No. I won't, I, think, I guess I just tried the first version of Oculus, but I, I just remember being in Seinfeld's apartment and being like, whoa, God, I'm going to go. And I like, took it off. <laughs> Very specific uh, scenario to put you in. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, this is interesting. Uh, the parallel that you had between architecture design, architecture and product design, like sort of the way the things get built, very similar ways, like you have developers and sort of bugs and stuff. Can you share a little bit about like how that's informed what you're doing now? I just have a lot of experience working with engineers of every stripe. And that is something that I've been able to bring with me along the way. And I think that there's just kind of this mindset of, we're all making something and we need to make sure that it ticks all the boxes and satisfies the needs of the people who are going to be using it. So whether it's a building and you're worried about, well, 
it's standing up primarily and hopefully at first and like, and then, but also, you know, that it's comfortable and safe and people can use it and circulate around it. Or if you're building software and you're thinking about sort of the same stuff, um, how do people navigate? How do they move around your app? What is it kind of made of? What does it look like? How does it feel? So very similar parallels there. Right. So have you thought about like what you would want Captivate to be like in the future or would it continue to be the same thing long-term? I have not thought about where to take it. It's sort of, I just sort of put it on ice for now. And what I would, I had, was that like a decision or was it just kind of like, no, that was life. Life did that. But one thing I thought about before I sort of powered down on it was if I could create a place that everyone could upload things. And so if you found an animation that you thought was crowdsourced, cool, yeah, it. yeah, it's a good way to get around the work effort. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm lazy. <laughs> no, la- lazy is the mother invention. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was thinking, if I could find a way to open this up and have people who would monitor it, or maybe I would monitor it just to make sure that the quality bar was there, or like can allow people to make collections of these things for their use if they wanted to put a board together. But then there are a lot of different avenues for making that stuff now so you could probably just pull stuff off my site and do that if you wanted to um but i think just like getting more content from more people would be a good thing how do you uh go down like the organizational route like is it all by by app by tag so when i post something i make sure that the app is there um but then i also try and break down the animation and think about what effects I think I'm seeing. And I have this kind of taxonomy that I invented that was based on some other materials that I found on the internet that like described animation. So I cobbled together my list out of several other lists. And so I'll look for things and I'll say, okay, so uh, that, that pulsing dot, it got bigger and it got smaller. So that's a gross shrink or, and then it faded out. So that's a fade. And so I'll just like check all these little boxes. And then that way, when somebody says like, I want to see a fold, they can search for that and then they should all come up. Sometimes it doesn't really work exactly how I would want because there's so many things happening that it's really confusing and you can't search it. But the idea was that you would be able to isolate these effects or find a theme and, and search through them that way. One of the things that I would love, if you want some user feedback, sure. is to see how an app evolves its design over time. I feel Timeline? Like, that'd be dope. I feel like that's getting lost right now, where like I go back, so I did a post on Twitter, and I go back and almost everything in there has changed. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man, I would have loved to have like sort of a, a visual timeline of these decisions that were being made, and piece together like my own theories about why those decisions were made it's 2015 can we not just like automate screenshotting it every single day seriously yeah i mean that would be really interesting um i think that there is a website that may be doing this it's called ux archive are you familiar with that? oh really i know they do it for web i don't know about ux archive i've seen like a lot of web things that do that are you thinking about archive.com no oh never heard of that yeah, I don't know if the the guys are still working on it, but yeah, that that site has some of the overtime stuff. Like they have it versioned, so you can search. But um, oh, cool! Yeah, so you should check that out. Seems like the big problem is then just getting that to the video format or like the motion format, right? Because it just takes so much time. Yeah, I have a little bit of it on on my site because. Um, I'll just have gone back to the same app twice, but that's really not the same thing that you're talking about. Right. But I have like two or three Twitter things, but they don't, they're not the same animation at different states in time. They're just different animations from different times that may happen to have a different look or feel. So actually lots of people would email me and ask like, Oh, how do you record the videos? So what was your workflow process like to actually get the videos recorded and uploaded and served? Um, Psh, so asking for the secret sauce from a competitor. Yeah. Rookie move, <laughs> loving. I won't, uh, I won't abuse this knowledge. I promise. I'm, I'm fine <laughs> to share it. It's not, it's not a problem. Um, Because, yeah, if people want to spend their time doing this, like, more power to them. Uh, So I would, in the early days, take my phone, airplay it using air squirrels. Yes, I did the same What is air squirrels? It It was... Reflector is the name of it. I've used reflector. Yeah, reflector. Air squirrels made reflector. Yeah. Um, So you just airplay it and mirror it and then 
you record that and then trim it up in QuickTime. And then I would drag it into some software called Hype. It has boards and you can do like HTML5 transitions. So I would set it all up like on Hover. Hype 3 just came out, right? Like it's like a prototyping thing. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So on Hover, do this, fade this way. On the other Hover, then on when you're done, like back it out and like set all these little things, package it together, upload it, label it, tag it, post it. What CMS do you use? I was WordPress. Oh, that's WordPress? Yeah. Wow. I had no idea because it does looks nothing like WordPress. So one of the big issues I ran into was hosting costs for all the videos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One day I logged in and had a $400 AWS bill. It's bad. Yeah. That's another issue where I don't make any money whatsoever, so I can't even cover the costs. So I'm just paying for Captivate. Any plans to like monetize or turn it into a profit generating app? I've thought about it, but I just, I don't know. I haven't done it. One thing that I was a little bit concerned about is that all the videos are other people's work. So if I don't make any money, it's all just like for educational use and people can just learn from it and move on and nobody comes and takes my house or anything. Um, I don't really think it's likely that that would happen if I slap some ads on there, but... Yeah, so how, how do you host it all? Like, is this costing you a ton of money? It's gotten cheaper. My husband has optimized it to within an inch of its life, and I don't actually know where how it's all working on the back end anymore. <laughs> um, is he a, a web while, developer? No, he's a scientist. That's a whole other thing. Um, but he, uh, he like, can tinker with these types of web services for whatever reason, and um, he did that. So for a while... I think that the cost was like 80 bucks a month, mm -hmm. which was really like felt high. <laughs> um, but it's, it's down from that now. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah. We had to compress. I think you've probably done a much better job. I remember like I used to host all my own videos. Yeah. He just sends me all his AWS bills. Yeah. Well, sort of, but yeah, there were some months where it was like hundreds of dollars, like 500 bucks. And that was a mistake. It can really add up, especially if you're trying to optimize for speed, because for me, like if there's a huge lag on Captivate between when you mouse over and when the thing starts playing, it's just incredibly frustrating and terrible. And for a long time, that's how it was for most people. If their connection wasn't mm -hmm. fast, like it was just jank. And it was because I couldn't, I didn't know how to make it better. Um, so we've tried over time to speed things up, but the fastest it we ever had was when it was distributed on different CDNs. I'm probably misusing terminology, but I think that's oh, right. that makes sense. Yeah, that was great, but it was costly. So, so I think people might be interested in like how you approach a side project when you don't make money from it and you're spending all your own cash. Like, do you approach it differently thinking that if I keep putting out more and more and more, it's going to cost me more and more and more and I'm not making any money. So I think you have to have like a slightly different mindset and think about what you're getting out of Captivate. Like well, in my case, it was Captivate, but out of any side project, because it's not just about a financial return or a direct financial return. One of the things that I've gotten out of Captivate is just that I've met or talked to like hundreds of people and people who know what I'm interested in or they understand how I want to curate these interaction patterns, like I can connect with them, we can discuss that, and that has value to me. So I'm more willing to invest, you know, up to a certain point. <laughs> Obviously, there's a limit where I'll feel like, okay, this is way too much money, but up to a certain point, you're getting a lot out of it. So it's okay to put a little money in there and just see what happens. I think that's an awesome way to approach it, yeah. It's definitely been been similar for for myself and my blog and i think even for the podcast is like we get so much out of it and you know we like run sponsors but i think the biggest piece is getting to meet people and build those connections yeah if we weren't like monetizing it at all we'd continue doing it like it's been so valuable just as people like meeting these people that we look up to amazing the best yeah i think that is the real value is the the people connections and just learning things because you Whenever you make something, no matter what it is, you're going to learn something from it. And I think that's a really good thing to do. What are you going to learn next? Uh, 
I feel like I should probably tackle After Effects just because um, Interesting. I'm Why? so into animations and it seems like a good tool for doing sophisticated ones. Um, for UI design? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Do you use any other prototyping tools or do you just skip straight to Swift right now? Right now, just Swift, yeah. It seems like After Effects would be hard to port back over to Swift, right? Yeah, it could be. But I think that sometimes I run into limitations with my code ability. And so I, I want to be able to attack the problem from both sides. That's really cool. Yeah, There's yeah. like the super practical and there's like the completely impractical. <laughs> yeah. Or just like, okay, so if I wasn't worried about whether I would know how to code this or if I could convince someone to help me, what would I do? And then there's also, since I already know how to do this, I'm going to put this in here. Right. Um, so I think that's kind of why I'm sort of starting to think about it. Several of the designers on the team use it, and they um, are able to produce really compelling motion graphics mm-hmm. that way. Yeah, I know people that do full like UI prototyping of flows in After Effects, which is just crazy to me. But Hey, it works great on Dribbble. It works great on Dribbble. Well, so that's one of the interesting things about Swift is like learning it as a prototyping tool. Um, I think it can be a little bit dangerous maybe. It sounds like obviously you get to work with great engineers, but maybe for someone at a smaller shop, basically not being able to prototype something because of your technical limit, even though from maybe like the design and interaction standpoint, you know exactly what you want. Um, Have you thought about that or like how to approach the technical hurdles there? Yeah, I mean, that is a real thing, like not just not knowing how to build something. And you have to, at least I've had to, watch my time. So if I have something and I want to achieve it in Swift and, I, and I'm and i spending a bunch of time on Stack Overflow and I'm like trying to figure out how to do it, at a certain point, if it's just going to be way out of my abilities, I have to kind of cut and run and n- try and find another tool to explain what I'm doing. Cause at a certain point you're kind of wasting your time. Right. So I monitor how long I'm spending on a given problem and I try to assess how hard it's going to be before I get too far in to overcome that problem. I found this like interesting balance where like, if you know how to code, uh, it becomes a lot easier to interact with engineers and there's sort of like this mutual respect kind of thing. But I think the danger in learning that is you start to constrain yourself by what you do know, even though the engineers probably know a lot more and how to actually make things happen. So, for example, sometimes like when I'm building the spec website, I'm like, uh, I don't know how to do that in Ruby, so I'm not going to even try it. Whereas like if we just had handed it off to a real engineer, like we could do anything. Right. I think that's part of the danger of I I just I don't buy that argument. I hear it all the time. Really? Yeah, it doesn't. I think that I am empowered by what I know about, like, for example, iOS, like just knowing what it's capable of by default, I tend to come up with better UI because of it. I feel empowered by it until I talk. I think I visualize something. Um, not specifically, but conceptually, it's like in my head, I get wrapped up in like, oh, I think this is going to be really hard. And so I try and look for other solutions before I even know if it's actually really hard. Like maybe there is an iOS component that makes that super easy. And it's just like, oh yeah, there's a controller for that. Do you find yourself doing that at all? Just kind of like pulling back on design stuff? Mm. I don't think of like fancy stuff as being better. So that might be why. Not a fanciness level. I just sometimes like to think I know more about like the constructs of a technical app than i than i probably do i think defaults are pretty good so i like to stick to those there you go i i do some pretty like non-standard ui but it's all based on standard ui sure when i do non-standard ui i just use i just fake it so i'll just use like a static image and i'll animate that around or like if it Uh. or i'll incorporate some element of a standard control but then tweak it a little bit so i'll just cheat i just cheat all around it because I don't have to, this, this code's not going to ship. Like, totally. It's just a thing that I'm making. So I try, I just get, I just get tricky. Any other side projects you want to talk about? Anything you want to do? I guess the only side project that's in the works right now is, um, my husband and I were thinking about doing a, a watch app called beach ball. And this is another thing that would really never work, but it's kind of fun. The, the construct is that you're in like a giant stadium 
and there's like a beach ball and so you tap it and then it like flies to the next person and then they tap it so you're all in this big game but we would just do it on the watch so you would just get a beach ball on your watch uh-huh. randomly based on maybe like your twitter follow graph like you would have some network of people and you're in the kind of stadium and then when you get the beach ball you have to spike it and then uh, someone <laughs> else in your circle will get the ball and then if they drop the ball that's like I don't know, maybe it's deflated or you start over or something. It is a very abstract concept. Yeah, it's a little weird, but I think it would be fun. How how did that come about? We were just talking one day about things you could do for the watch. and I love when people think of just like really abstract like UI and then turn into something that is actually feasible. Yeah, I think this idea is just like this weird idea about inclusiveness or just participating in a really light way that doesn't mean anything, but it's kind of fun. And we had some ideas about points or trying to track who spiked the ball to you and where it went. Um, But it was supposed to be like very bare bones other than that. Just like ping. Does your husband have a watch too? Yeah. I found that they're much better when you have like a significant other with one. It's so much fun. Yeah. My wife was just in London and we were just like drawing on our wrists to each other. Like it's the best. Yeah. Do you compete on activity? Because we totally do that. I turned off activity. What? What? You like the activity? Yeah. It's changed the way I like go about my day. Honestly. Do you stand up? Uh, I try to. Yeah. Yeah. I try to. Um, it drove me nuts immediately, and I was like, "Nah, hard pass." Really? Mm-hmm. What about even just the rings about uh, time moving and calories and all that? Yeah. No, I turned all that off. I don't see that. Hmm. Yeah. For me, like I. I'm exceptionally lazy, you guys. You don't understand. (laughs) I don't know. I think they were so smart. Like every Monday morning when I'm walking to work, I get the weekly report and it says you hit your goal four out of seven times or whatever. Does it shit? Does it drop your activity? Mine always drops and I'm like, no, don't. I don't want it to be achievable. So mine started at like 500 and then I think I got it up to 700 calories a day that's pretty good and now it's back down to like 570 (laughs) mine is freakishly low and i like try and work out and i don't know i guess i'm really still (laughs) (laughs) well we do you you just gotta move your wrists more it's no big deal yeah i have i have friends who like gesticulate a lot when they talk and i just i think i'm just like quietly sitting they're cheating you know it's really weird my wife wanted my silver watch so i got a black one instead and it thinks my heartbeat is much higher than the last one did. What? It's the weirdest thing. Maybe you're just happier. No, it's like dangerously high. <laughs> it's so freaky. Like I need to get my blood pressure. Checked. Like I'll I'll do that like heartbeat thing and mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh, holy shit, she's gonna think I'm like super out of it. <laughs> Bryn is running a marathon right now. Yeah, like <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. She's like, what are you doing? <laughs> wow. But yeah, that's been the one fascinating thing for me about activity is that it has created behavioral change in the way I live my life. Are you a slave to the rings? I'm a slave to the rings. I admit it. Are you? Yeah, I am. I like to check my heart rate in tense situations or when I think I'm really calm just to see. Yeah, I don't know. The rings for me has been like just this really interesting case of studying how people form habits like how you can help people form habits through design like just those three rings with a little bit of a gray area in between gets what at this point hundreds of thousands maybe millions we don't really know people to do more stuff do you think they've sold millions aren't the estimates like four million Mm, i haven't seen them i don't know apparently it's selling really well though i didn't expect that i don't know four million I mean, it's only like a couple billion dollars. Did you guys upgrade your OS on the watch yet? No, yeah, no. Yeah, I haven't done it. I uh, have had bad experience with beta software for the last like five months of my life. I told you not to do it. I did iOS 9. I did El Capitan. Rookie move, loving. I was thinking about OS 2 on the watch and I didn't, thank God, because everything else broke. We had a friend (laughs) that bricked his Apple watch with OS 2 and Nope, yeah. hands off. I have a friend who did the same. That sounds terrible. I don't want to live without this thing for a day. I, it's weird. Do you love your watch? I love it. Do you love your watch? I like it. I'm ambivalent. Interesting. And I wear it every day. So maybe I'm secretly unambivalent, but like if you ask me, do I love it? Not really. It doesn't stand out. It's just like something that is there now. Yeah. Do you feel weird when you don't have it? 
Yes, because I have a watch tan. <laughs> I I don't usually get a tan even and I have one. <laughs> you are a little pasty. Little? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So many people ask and it's like, do you love it? Uh, it's, it's a watch. It's a watch. Yeah. No, I love my phone though. That. You know, I love it passionately. But my watch, I'm like, yeah, it's a, yeah. Shorter success. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. Yeah. I went watch free for many years. This is the first watch I've had in a long oh, time. Oh yeah, I hate watches. Same. I love this thing. Yeah. It's something that has changed my usage patterns on all my devices significantly. So do you use, you use the notifications and your arbitrage and all of that stuff? And when I'm like really bored, I'll browse Twitter on my watch instead of on my phone. Weirdo. I know. It is weird. I, even that even is I think really that's weird. weird. It's just something that's like, eh. Like. Where do you put your arm when you're doing that? <laughs> is that a weird thing to ask? <laughs> no, that's fair. I feel like most of the time if I'm bored, it's because I'm waiting for someone. And that usually means I'm at like a restaurant or a bar. So you're kind of putting it on the table in front mm-hmm. of you and then just using your other hand to swipe through. Digital crown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you a swiper or a scroller? I don't, I don't use the crown that much. What? It changes everything. And it has the best interaction design. That rubber band thing when you scroll too hard. Oh, it. The moment I felt that, I was like, holy shit, this is the best. I don't know. It's a touch screen. I just want to touch the screen. Mm, I want to keep it clean. <laughs> That's a good point. Mine is definitely all covered with fingerprints um have you had a chance to work on the watch app since you are on timeline that was a different project different team Mm -hmm. do you have any interest in in trying to like build your own watch app um just like we just had the beach ball idea that's about as far as it's gone yeah what about uh captivate for captivate for watch apps yeah it's once you can figure out how to record from your watch (laughs) (laughs) yeah airplay yeah something i was amazed that you could screenshot from day one yeah. I did not expect that. You, you just guys, press the two buttons. Do you guys accidentally screenshot when you cross your arms? <laughs> what? <laughs> no. All right. Let's wrap this up because <laughs> we are getting off track. Um, is there anything you want to plug before we end this? No, no plugs. No plugs. Captivate.co. Captivate. Except Captivate, yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll send people there. Cool. And of course, to follow you on Twitter. That'd be good. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for taking the time to come chat with us. Yeah. Thanks for Super having me. Super appreciated. Yeah. That's great. great. Awesome. Episode 64 complete. Hope you guys liked it. If you did, leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback. Of course, every rating helps us uh, move up the iTunes charts, helps new people find the show. To do that, just open your podcast app or iTunes on your computer or phone. Uh, Leave us a star rating. And if you want to leave us comments or feedback, you can do that as well. We love to read that. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Design Details FM or join our Slack team at spec.fm slash slack. Before we go, huge thank you once again to the sponsors that made this episode possible. Icon Finder is the best place to get icons in the world. They have over 627,000 icons in their library. These are icons that you can pay a monthly subscription to get access to. 70% of your payment goes back to the original icon designers. And then you can use those icons in any project you're working on, including client work. They're gonna work in any software you're designing for. They come in all different file types. It's an amazing service that we love, and we hope you'll check them out at iconfinder.com. If you use the promo code Design Details, that'll tell them that we sent you and get you 50% off your first month. Thanks once again to Icon Finder. Our second sponsor, once again, as usual, Dropbox. Dropbox is really trying to support the design community, not only in sponsoring events and podcasts like this one. They really just want to help designers do their best work. And to that end, they've built out features for designers specifically. So they've got file previews for Sketch and Photoshop files. They've got sharing that makes sharing large files really fast and you can comment right in line. They've got Slack integration. They just help teams work better together. And that's a pretty awesome thing. We really appreciate them taking the time and making the effort to support us. So we would love it if you go and support them. Just go check them out at dropbox.com. Thanks once again to Dropbox for sponsoring the show. We'll see you on Wednesday with Linda Eliasson.
Welcome to episode Nintendo 64 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. I said surfboard in the middle. Welcome to episode Nintendo 64 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. I'm Ray Jackson. This episode we got to sit down with Allie Dryer. Start over. You were swallowing when you started that. (laughs) 